Let's go to Brooklyn, where Professor Ben Burgess is standing by. Professor Ben Burgess teaches philosophy at Georgia State University Perimeter College. You can see him tonight on the Michael Brooks Show doing the debunk. And I should mention that the Michael Brooks Show will be doing a live event February 7th in Brooklyn at the Bell House Along with Michael Brooks, there'll be Matt Binder, Professor Harvey Kay, Professor Ben Burgess, who I should mention is the author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. Welcome back, Professor. Thank you, comedian. Thank you. Tell me about the Michael Brooks show live from the Bell House on February 7th in Brooklyn. Are tickets still available? Uh, yes, they are. Yep. Um so uh they're uh you know they're going like so you if people are interested they should uh they should pick one up i think it's about half i think they're about half sold right now and um and usually you know usually i think when they do these things like it um it starts going pretty fast when you get closer to the date so uh so yeah uh should uh should pick it up um i mean i this is the First one of these that I've been um, on stage for, but I, I right. went to I went to a previous one they did like a a year before. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, so, will Michael yeah. be able to host the show? Because I don't know if I mentioned this, but since we're at war, I contacted the FBI and turned him in as a loyal American. Yeah. Will he no, be released I, by then? Yeah, I think it should work out because okay. today is the sixth, and I'm told they could only hold him uh, for 30 days without pressing some sort of charge. So, uh, so I, I think it should be okay. Right, because the United States during time of war never ever relieves itself of habeas corpus. <laughs> There's been never any incident of people being held without charges. No, so, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. Hey, we're at war. It's World War Three. And uh, Thomas Friedman, who writes for the New York Times, says this is a good thing. I don't know if you remember Thomas Friedman. You, 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 you write about him and give them an argument, logic for the left, how he has these amazing conversations <laughs> with cab drivers. And from just that one conversation with a cab driver, he's able to divine a whole theory about geopolitics. Well, he says... That uh, Suleiman, uh, Suleimani was a fool and an idiot. And it's a good thing yeah. that 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 Trump killed him. Oh, well, now I get a little confused because um, if the um, if the Quds Force, you know, the branch of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard that was running all these paramilitary operations in other countries around the region, if it was being led by an idiot. Um, then I would think from an American point of view, you'd want to keep that idiot in that office that, you know, you wouldn't want somebody who was actually good at his job doing that. Well, uh, Iran, uh, he says, the dumbest man in Iran is Soleimani or was Soleimani. Maybe oh. he was helping. Maybe Trump was helping the, the Iranians to to overthrow their theocracy and finally stand up for democratic principles. Uh, 
still not quite seeing how this would do that. Um, you know, if, if the, uh, <laughs> no. uh, if the dumbest, if the dumbest man, uh, dumbest man in Iran was, you know, was, was heading this, uh, this important force that I, I would think that opponents of the regime would, uh, uh, would want him to, to be there. And, you know, they wouldn't want him to be replaced by somebody who might be dangerously competent. Okay. Thomas Friedman, though, he's been pretty prescient and wise when it comes to the Middle East, right? No, that's, yeah, that, that, that's true. And, and, you know, and I do want to give him his due on this issue because, um, obviously, um, if, uh, if some incredibly prominent and uh, uh, American official was um, was assassinated by Iran, um, most Americans would like calmly and rationally think about whether they liked that official. And, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. we would act accordingly. Yeah, and if, and, if, and if we decided that on reflection he wasn't a good guy, then we would we would thank Iran for doing that. Exactly, You're, that great point. I, I, I and and Thomas Friedman got the invasion of Iraq right, didn't he? He was for the invasion oh, of Iraq. Absolutely, yeah. No, he. I mean, as <laughs> that's that, that's right. Yeah, no, he it played out exactly the way that he thought it would. Um, which uh, which is why my understanding is that um, American troops uh, went went to Iraq, uh, were greeted as liberators. Uh, it was it was a, a very short you know engagement, uh, set up a stable democratic and pro American government, and uh, and left. I think well, actually, it's been so successful this week. The Iranian Parliament has said, you know, your work here, America, is done. You can leave now. By a vote. <laughs> I think true. That's I don't true. think anybody voted against that idea. They were all on board our leaving. So it was a success. And I remember Thomas Friedman after 9-11 going on Charlie Rose saying, we need heads on a stick. We need to start killing people in the Middle East and saying to the world, come on, you want a piece of this? That's what Thomas Friedman yeah. told Charlie Rose. Yeah, was was this the um, that uh, famous attack of eloquence, which he uh, he said that every few years we need to find some shitty little country and throw them up against the wall? Yeah, and that seems yeah. to work. That does seem to work. So I, we're in good shape. In, in all seriousness, how bad is this? Now, there's a part of me that I'm not being the phony centrist, there's this little part of me that thinks, all right, we're, we were told that the, the economy would tank under Trump. You know, the economy had already tanked before Trump became president. We've just seen more of the same. Uh, I mean, we're, we're catastrophizing Soleimani's assassination, and we're being told, get ready for World War III, but... This is a symmetrical war, even if the Quds forces start attacking our troops in Iraq or in Syria. Uh, we know who's doing it. Would Iran want a, a war with America since we know where, I mean, most of us 
know where Iran uh. is. We know where Iran is, except for probably Trump. Do you see it being as horrible, apocalyptic yeah, sure. as as people are saying? Sure, sure. I, I'm sure Iran would like to avoid a um, you know all out conventional war. Uh, you know, my understanding, like what, uh, what Derek Davison says is that, um, you know, that they, they're more likely to respond by, um, you know, by doing these asymmetrical things, you know, by, by, uh, you know, hitting various American or American aligned targets around the region with, you know, that they'd have like plausible deniability for, but everybody would kind of know that like that was like the, Iranian response to this. Um, but on the other hand, I did see uh, the president tweeting uh, yesterday about how if there's any kind of Iranian response to this, then he has 52, um, 52 like strike targets picked out to represent the 52 hostages, you know, from 1979. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it, it kind of, uh, so I, I guess I mean look I, I don't, I'm not going to claim to have any kind of crystal ball about any of this you know but um, but I, I, I do think that the one slightly worrying thing is that uh, is that I I can't imagine that the Iranians can let this go without some kind of response and uh, and Trump is is you know, certainly tweeting like crazy apocalyptic things about how he would respond to the response. Uh, so, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be like, you know, an all out war in Iran or, you know, much less World War Three. But, you know, but it is, you know, there was already, you know, there was already like violence of one kind or another going on between the U.S. and Iran before this. And it certainly escalates it. Not to side with Trump and not to play the devil's advocate. I'm just asking if maybe you have a president now who's getting rid of the post-World War II framework, like no NATO, we don't need NATO, and we no longer need to fight these wars where we rebuild the country after we destroyed them. There seems to have been this template established after World War II where we can't go in and destroy a country without reimagining itself in our image. You know, we, we had to rebuild uh, Iraq. Like, it had to be like Japan and Germany. But that's a post-World War II conceit that Donald Trump doesn't adhere to. What if the Iranians think, and I think this may be, what Trump is thinking, oh, we'll just destroy you the way we did Iraq. Like, Iraq was successful in Trump's mind. We destroyed Iraq. Yeah, Uh, you know, they're all dead. They're all gone. It's a Hobbesian state, and that's what we're offering Iran, a Hobbesian state. That old idea of rebuilding you in our image, that's gone. We're just going to destroy you. Well, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I'm not a hundred percent sure that what we're trying to do in Iraq was quite like what uh, we're trying to do in Germany and Japan after the war. Uh, I mean, there's this, 
you know, there's a similarity, but I think the dissimilarity might matter too because, um, you know, because Germany and Japan, you know, were, you know, relatively developed countries and, you know, and, and imperial powers and they were kind of being restored into the world system, you know, at that level. I mean, not with their like military empires, of course, but, um, but like as like, um, first world countries, whereas Iraq, um, had been and was going to be, you know, continue to be a, um, a peripheral country that, you know, was mostly of interest for, you know, extracting its natural resources. Right. Um, so do you, do you, I, th- do you think, uh, and then we'll move on. Uh, well, I was, I was going to say, I think that does help to explain why it was that there was part of the reason why there was so much more, um, there was so much more resistance in, in Iraq, uh, to that attempt than there was in post-war Japan or Germany, uh, that, that I, I think there was very little sense that like when, when the whole process was over, they were really going to be allowed to like, you know, determine their own destiny to anything like the extent that those other countries were. Right. Well, we, and we were sold the invasion of Iraq as building a beachhead in the Middle East and establishing a democracy there. And it would spread, uh, throughout the Middle East. That's how it was sold to us. But we knew that it was about oil. Iran may be not so much about oil as it is about Saudi Arabia, Israel, Lebanon, and Syria. Uh-huh. I don't know. It seems like the Quds forces were this army yeah. separate well, from uh, Iran that was doing to the Middle East what America was doing to the Middle East. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean at, at a much smaller scale, of course. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's like Iran is certainly a regional power, um, they, and, you know, and, and whatever, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, um, uh, I don't want to whitewash this, you know, like do the stupid kind of anti-imperialism where you have to pretend that the, uh, uh, whoever the empire is targeting and, you know, is, uh, you know, is innocent. I mean, Iran, um, you know, does, uh, does a lot of terrible things, you know, in the region. Certainly, if you look at the way that, um, I mean, you know, like, well, even the Quds Force, you know, was was uh, was seemed to be like helping shape like uh, the Assad regime's uh, response to uh, the uprising there in 2012 that turned into this years and years long, you know, incredibly brutal civil war. Uh, but I'm I'm also I don't know. I, I think we need to have some kind of perspective here because um, if the fight is between the regional bully that at least has some actual ties to, you know, neighboring countries and the, uh, and the global bully, um, then, uh, then I, I think that, you know, I think that people in countries like Iraq, you know, not everybody, and it depends on, you know, all of the obvious things, you know, Sunnis versus Shia, all that stuff. But, like, you know, a lot of people are going to see us as, you know, as as a much, you know, as a much bigger menace than Iran. Yeah. I guess what I'm talking about, and then I, I promise we'll move on. Everybody woke up Monday morning depressed. It was the first day back after the new year. 
And yeah. we were convinced, well, he started World War III. And I'm trying to be the optimist here in saying he's an idiot. He shouldn't, yeah. have, he shouldn't have stirred up the hornet's nest. However, had Bernie done it, then you never know. Once he becomes president, you never sure. know. Because he, you know, he does have a muscular, I, I suspect he has a muscular foreign policy. He's, he was, he came out against the assassination and he wants to put an end to these senseless wars. But I could see a President Sanders or a President Elizabeth Warren taking out somebody like Soleimani and the pundit, the pundit saying that was a smart move. Yeah, I don't think um I don't think somebody like Soleimani exactly like oh, they're coming they're coming for uh one of okay. you. All right, they're oh, a good. little late. They're a little late, I get, but they're I get, get more them. money from the FBI. <laughs> By the way, I love Marxism, but I have to make a living. And I just sure, think the FBI I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of the Marxists and uh I'm telling everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm Fair proud. Of. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, look, I don't think it's, I don't think like exactly like Soleimani. I mean, my understanding from what the New York Times reported the other day is that um, the you know when the generals gave um, gave Trump the list of options for you know how he could respond to the latest Iranian actions. Um, they they mostly put uh, assassinate Soleimani on the list to make the other options look more reasonable. <laughs> I know. All right. So, so I, I I don't think. Um, I mean, I think there are profound differences between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on uh, on foreign policy. I think she's much more of a creature of the establishment on foreign policy than he is. But um, and you know and and but look, I mean. I, I totally take the point that, you know, that, that somebody, you know, somebody who's, um, you know, like a very anti-war person like I am might be, you know, and a strong Sanders supporter might well be disappointed by some of Sanders, you know, foreign policy decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, that's absolutely possible. But, um, but, um, I don't think, I don't think he'd do this. I don't think Warren would do this. In fact, I don't think Biden would do this because, uh, well, maybe Biden now, but, right. uh, you know, but not, you know, classic Biden, you know, cause, cause I think that, uh, that taking somebody who's, who's like such a high ranking official, uh, in, in a country that, you know, where you have, you know, like already tensions are already built up to such a dangerous point with, uh, and, you know, and if there, you know, if there was an actual all out war with Iran, I mean, well, let's put it this way. There's a reason it hasn't happened yet. Right. Like, um, even though way back, you know, before the invasion of Iraq, Iran was on Bush's axis of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's and, you know, there's pretty much been continuous saber rattling and, you know, in Iran since then. um there's, you know, with the exception of, you know, of the brief period, you know, around when we had the Iran uh, nuclear deal. But um, but other than that, right, there's been pretty continuous saber rattling. But the U.S. hasn't actually hasn't actually attacked like 
conventionally attacked Iran, and there's a reason for that, which is that it wouldn't be like Iraq. Like, Iraq was bad enough, uh, you know, because, you know, I mean, well, certainly the human cost even initially, but, like, you know, it was bad enough for the U.S. military during the, you know, occupation and counterinsurgency, but Iraq didn't have a real army by the time we invaded. Like, Iraq had been, like, uh, had, you know, like their, their defenses had been decimated, you know, by the, I mean, they'd gone straight from the Iran-Iraq war to the Gulf War to, um, you know, to 12 years of sanctions and regular bombings. Yeah. You know, yeah. De- yeah. decimate their, their defenses. Uh, and so they, they like, they, they were barely holding together an army by the time we invaded. Iran has a real army. Like that would be, that would be much worse. Okay. I'm just trying to prevent people from freaking out. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. All right. well, I, I got re- I got really depressed. Freak out to a moderate extent yeah. that the uh, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's uh, I don't I don't I don't think we have to like you know uh, think that World War Three is going to start tomorrow and jump out the window. But you know, this this is uh, well as the as the president says in other contexts, not good. It's not good, and I just think that since we are in a state of war, while I agree with Professor Ben Burgess's political beliefs, that now is not the time to criticize our president. That's all I'm saying. We should just unite around the flag and love our country, you know? Just now now is not the time to to question our leaders. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) They are... over the weekend, I catastrophized, and I just started thinking, this could get so bad so quickly with this Ooh. guy as president. It's it's terrifying. All right. Well, there's an election coming up in 2020, unless we have to suspend, yeah, unless we have to suspend it due to we war, might, yeah. the way we did during World War II. We had to suspend all the elections, and during the Civil War, we suspended <laughs> all the elections. So, How weird. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people, they don't talk about that. But uh, I'm joking. <laughs> you know what? I'm joking. Let's look at the poll numbers. Bernie Sanders is is in second place nationally now. Biden has 29.3. This is the real clear politics averages. Bernie uh, Sanders is in second place with 19.9%. Elizabeth Warren is in Third place with 14.4%. Mayor Pete, 7%. Mike Bloomberg, 5.6%. Yang, 3.4%. And all the way down there, well, I'll tell you who is all the way down there in a second. In Iowa, Bernie Sanders is now leading with 22%. And Buttigieg, 21%. In New Hampshire, Bernie Sanders is leading with 22.7%. And Biden is in second place in New Hampshire with 18.7%. Nationally, Amy Klobuchar has 3% of the the American people behind her. And that's why David Leonard over at the New York Times wrote a piece on Monday entitled, A Democrat Who Can Beat Trump. He found the Democrat who can beat Trump. This is David Leonard, Yale, graduate of Yale, well-spoken, New York Times columnist, 
up there in the Pantheon next to Thomas Friedman, he he says he's found the Democrat. Who is that Democrat? <laughs> Amy Klobuchar. He says Amy Klobuchar currently has 3% of the American people behind her. He says... Uh, uh, I mean, with, with a base like that, I don't know how she could lose. <laughs> What what happened? When did people suddenly discover Amy Klobuchar? Like one good debate performance? How did this happen? That the 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 Beltway now thinks she's viable. One okay debate performance, but yeah, uh, this is. I I mean I think they're desperate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that you know people like this, you know they they think that. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, dangerous, uh, radical program of, uh, enacting Canadian style healthcare and, uh-huh. you know, making sure that everybody can go to college is, is out of the question, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that's not acceptable. Um, uh, and Joe Biden's brain seems to be leaking through his mouth and, you know, <laughs> alternately hilarious and horrifying ways. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren is, is, you know, from their perspective, you know, certainly not mine, but from their perspective, too close to Bernie for comfort. Uh, and, you know, and, and Mayor, Mayor Pete doesn't seem to be selling. Uh, so they kind of have to keep looking around and being like, well, I don't know. What can we do? Is, is it, you know, uh, maybe Michael Bloomberg, maybe Amy Klobuchar, you know, uh-huh. uh, you know, I mean, is, is there like a, um, you know, is, is there a, uh, like a city councilman in Santa Monica somewhere who cleans up nice on camera, <laughs> you know, <laughs> advocate free trade agreements, you know, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I don't think they're, uh, you know, I think that it's, uh, it's it's an interesting symptom of of where they are that uh, that they that they actually have to say things like let's give Klobuchar a chance. Well, I isolated some of his cogent points. I mean, he makes a good case for Amy Klobuchar. He says that we need to find a comfortably electable candidate who's qualified who won't turn eighty while in office. Uh-huh. Yeah. Aren't you terrified that Bernie is going to be in his 80s when he's president? Not especially, no. Um, I, I mean, if the, I mean, if the worry, you know, the worry about age is presumably a stand-in for something else. So either it's a worry that he's going to die in office, mm-hmm. um, or it's a worry that he's going to um, become senile, you know, like Reagan. Um, and it seems like on the second worry, um, I, I don't see it, right? I think that he, uh, like, he seems to be in, uh, like, considering his age and, you know, and, and you know, even, even after the heart attack, right? I mean, like the doctor... Um, like he got, you know, like he he recently, you know, got a, a new medical report about, you know, how things have progressed since then. Right. And um and and he seems to be, I mean, for a man of his age who's had a heart attack, he seems to be 
in remarkably good, you know, mental and physical health. Uh, Doing better, actually, now. They've cleared the artery out. He's got two stents in. He's more more clear. Right, exactly. You know, um, and... um, Let me ask you a question about... And, 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 you know, I mean, Riggin deteriorated in part because, you know, like he he doesn't, you know, he wasn't a curious person. He just, like, you know, he, he would just, like read his lines and go home and watch TV, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't, that doesn't seem like Bernie to me. And if the conservatives do good die in office, okay, well, what if he did? Um, that's happened before, right? You know, that's, that's never been, um, I mean, obviously if it's something dramatic, like an assassination, that's one thing, but like, you know, um, but, uh, but plenty of presidents have, uh, have, have died in office. It's never been a, you know, it's, it's, it's never been a crisis. It's never been that big a crisis in itself. It just means that, you know, power goes to, uh, you know, to the vice president and we're all very sad. But, um, you know, but I, I, I think that the idea that that is, that that outweighs everything else just, just seems very odd to me. I'm curious. You're a professor and when, when your students write term papers, they have to back up their claims. And yet, (laughs) and yet, and yet, let me just read you a sentence from David Leonard's column. He says, a Amy Klobuchar has a savvy understanding of how to campaign against president Trump and a track record of winning the sorts of swing voters. Democrats will likely need this year. Wouldn't one example of that? I mean, what? That would be, be helpful. Like, yeah, you, that's the sort of thing you might, you know, underline with that red pen and say, you know, example. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, he went to Yale. Winners. He went winning, to Yale. Okay, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, when exactly has uh, has she won over all these swing voters that, that we're talking about here? Because uh, I mean, Amy Klobuchar is. I mean, she represents um, the Minnesota, uh, and Minnesota, as we know, is a state of swing voters. They've, <laughs> they've given us Jesse Ventura, Paul Wellstone, Al Franken, Amy Klobuchar. They're all over the map, Minnesota. Yeah, no, I guess I guess that's true. There are a lot so, of Republicans on that list. Yeah. <laughs> He says, when I asked top Democrats which candidate has the best chance of beating Trump, Klobuchar is often their answer. Doesn't mention the name of the top Democrats. I wonder it's if like these- the, uh, it's like the, it's like the end of um, uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, where is the Ark now? It's being looked into by top men. Who? Top men. <laughs> Some of them. May not even be top men. That's why I like uh, Thomas Friedman. Sometimes you know, he'll he'll sometimes just talk to a cab driver. No, at least Thomas Friedman will tell you his source. Yeah, and he's a man of the people, unlike That's David right. Leonard, who has to talk to top Democrats. And he concludes, if party leaders still chose nominees, she might now be the favorite. I believe that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is why. He Party says, leaders no longer choose. Yeah, if only the smoke-filled rooms pick the candidate and not the people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if, if you can get, uh, yeah, and you know, whatever. I mean, the smoke-filled rooms are uh, are good at it. That's why uh, 
you know, that's why Hubert Humphrey won. Uh huh. You know, like there's the, uh, you know, there's a long, it's a long series of very charismatic people, Phil, you know, that are picked by the smoke filled rooms. Well, he um, says that, that Amy reminds him of Harry Truman, who was picked by the smoke filled room, not the people. And the reason, he says, the wisdom of the smoke filled room is it picked a candidate with populist leanings. Now that's odd because you, you you'd think yeah. that the populists would pick the populist candidate. But I'm more. I think David Leonard is onto something that we we shouldn't trust the people to pick the, the candidate <laughs> with populist leanings. We should rely on on the smoke filled rooms and. Uh, he goes on to say that she appeals to the working class and the middle class because even though she went to Yale, where David Leonard went, and the University of Chicago Law School, uh, she relates to the middle class by talking about her family's struggle with alcoholism and divorce. Uh, Something right. farmers... And people who don't live in the city and didn't go to Yale can relate to. Right. Yeah, well, okay. okay. I mean, is is <laughs> so, <laughs> so so just 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 to be clear clear about this, while well, uh, you know, while Trump is uh, is playing up the economic numbers and uh, and lying about the content of of his new trade agreement. Um, if, uh, if, if we can have a real dynamite response, like Klobuchar talking about her family's, uh, divorce and alcoholism, uh-huh. that should, that, that, should, that should beat that, right? So that, okay, all right. All no, right. fair enough. I, I'm, I'm starting to come around. I, all I'm, right. I'm, I'm feeling the Klobuchar. And last, this is, this is just the best sentence ever. This is what David Leonard writes in the New York Times making the case for Amy Klobuchar. Monday's New York Times. I am also struck by Klobuchar's views about how to run against Trump this time, because he's saying she's electable. She'll talk about how he has let the country down, and she'll use humor against his demagoguery and appeal to voters' emotions and patriotism. He's saying that Amy Klobuchar is funny. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. No, no, that's that's. I mean, like, if the uh, how do you get these jobs? If, 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 if the election is going to be decided by uh, by flag waving and saying funny things, then uh, definitely Donald Trump loses to Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, because yeah, I mean. Donald Trump isn't nearly as funny as Amy Klobuchar. No, no, of course not. He he concludes, many Democratic voters care more about beating Trump than anything else. For them, Amy Klobuchar deserves a look. I have to let you go. You're a columnist for Jacobin, right? I I am. And actually, I was was just talking about this Last night with our now incarcerated friend Michael Brooks. Yes. Uh, um, and, uh, and, and one thing that I, I find really interesting 
is that um, <laughs> when I, you know, so like I'll I'll send articles to to Jacobin, and you know the the deal I have with them is supposed to be fifty a year. And like maybe once every three or four articles, the the editor Bhaskar Sankara will um, will say, "Yeah, this one isn't really working for me. Can you do something else?" Right. Uh, and let's put it this way: I would be fascinated to know if that's the case at the New York Times. And, and yet, what is it about? Because me? because if it is, what do the rejected columns look like? <laughs> Like if the bed bug one passed scrutiny, this you know this was fine, right? You know that's like, what, what what's the article that's like, oh okay okay Thomas, I I, I don't think you know that this this isn't working for me. I think you, I think you need a better argument this week. Right, it, it's it's fascinating. Why do I still gravitate to the New York Times? What what is it? Is it just an age thing where I feel obligated that if I don't read the New York Times, I don't know what's going on. And if I do read the New York Times, I, I don't know what's going on. What is it? I've I just been brainwashed, right? Uh, I mean, it's the closest thing that we have to, like, uh, you know, like, respectable, um, you know, to, like, respectable establishment I you think know, they blur quickly. the lines between objectivity and centrism. I think as as a as journalists they try to report objectively. But then when they move into opinion pieces they Well they, it, 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 it corrupts the journalism too because um as long as you know, because I think that there's a conception I mean, you know, really this is something we should you know, talk about another time because it could be because it could be a whole a whole segment. But the, there's there's a conception of objectivity that, as you say, is really just centrism, right? Mm-hmm. You know that, um, and and that does that does corrupt the journalism because because it means that if you're, um, you know, that if if you're sort of striking a balance between like. Uh, the uh, you know the democratic pers- you know perspective on what's going on and you know and, and the uh, right wing republican perspective on what's going on that uh, then you've you've achieved um, you know you've achieved objectivity when when actually what you've achieved is just a point of view that's that's part way in between those yeah being reasonable you know yeah, we, we need yeah, to go slowly on transforming our health care system. Right. It's, it's reasonable to allow fifty six thousand Americans to die every year because they're underinsured, and it's reasonable to waste about two trillion dollars a year on paperwork. That's you know that's a reasonable, moderate stance. Let's go slowly on this. Well, here's what you should not go slowly on: purchasing tickets for the Michael Brooks Show live February seventh at the Bell House in Brooklyn. The great Professor Ben Burgess will be there, along with the great Professor Harvey J.K., Matt Bender. Who else is going to be there? Michael Brooks will be there? Yeah, so uh, definitely um, Michael Brooks, David Griscom, uh, uh, Matt Leck, 
um, and the people you mentioned, and I feel like I'm I feel like I'm leaving someone out. So let me let me just check real quickly. And while you're checking, I should mention that Professor Ben Burgess teaches philosophy at Georgia State University Perimeter College. He is the author of "Give Them an Argument: Logic for the Left," published by Zero Books. And you need two of his essays delivered directly to your inbox each week. Go to patreon.com forward slash Ben Burgess and sign up for his newsletters. Watch him tonight on the Michael Brooks show doing the debunk and read him over at Jacobin. And do we know who else is on the Michael Brooks show live? Yes, the, uh, the, so, all right. So the two names I was missing were Alyona Minkowski and uh, Chad Vigorous, who's a uh, who's a very um, uh, who people might know from Twitter and from uh, from the podcast that he does called the Discourse. And uh, I, I saw him actually last time I was in Brooklyn. Um, uh, we uh, uh, went down to uh, to Queens to uh, to support do this. Uh, uh, this comedy night fundraiser thing for a, uh, for a congressional candidate there, um, Lauren Ashcraft and, um, and, and Chad was there and, and he did a comedy set there, which was very funny. So, um, so yep, uh, that's the, uh, so it is, uh, other than me, it is a star studded cast and, uh, and, and you should, uh, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you that I'm coming and then not show up at the last minute. Okay, fair enough. That's no. It it sounds it sounds great. Seriously, it it, it sounds fantastic. I hope uh, all you people are released by then. Thank you for sure. giving up all those names. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to make a fortune from the FBI. It's so great to be both a Marxist and an FBI informant. You get the best of both worlds, and uh, that's the secret to the David Feldman show. Don't panic, folks. That's all I'm saying. I know we're all scared that World War III is around the corner. It already started 12 years ago. So just, it's going to be business as usual. Don't panic. Hey, you're going to a philosophy conference? Where is it? Uh, Philadelphia. And uh, it's, the, uh, it's the American Philosophical Association. I'm only going to be there for a little bit. I said I'd... Um, uh, I'd give a commentary and a, a paper there, um, so I'll I'll do that and I'll stick it around Philadelphia for the day. But then I have to uh, to head back on Thursday to get back to Atlanta for the beginning of the semester. So it's a convention of philosophers, uh, something like that. Yeah. And what what do what do you do? <laughs> And I mean, there are there are talks, you know, people people um, people present papers and you know things like that. So um, it's it's not. Uh, I mean, I, I could. Do you uh, go? Do you go to strip joints and then go to the VIP room and ask the women to bear their souls? <laughs> keep, keep your clothes on. Just. What I, it's you should write a piece about this. This is a convention of philosophers. This is hysterical, isn't it? 
Uh, I mean, I like the, <laughs> you know, I like the strip club suggestion, but, uh, but yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, uh, I don't know how, I don't know how hysterical it is, but, uh, how many but people show, how many people show up for something like this? Uh, quite a few, you know, it's, uh, but are they really there? Ah, that's, that's the question. The question. <laughs> Goodbye. I'm going to let you go. I, I'm not smart enough to make you laugh on this subject. To be discussed. Stand line. Professor Ben Burgess, stand the line for one quick second. Thank you. Sure, no problem.